that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. Take a moment to pray, and... Uh, Father, thanks for your presence. Thanks, God, for your Holy Spirit to lead us, teach us, guide us. Ask God that we'd be open, wide open, in our heart, in our spirit, just to receive you, to hear from you, and to be challenged, changed. Just ask you, God, that tonight we receive what you have for us. Each of us would receive what you have for us that word or that encouragement, that correction, that understanding, that challenge, whatever it is, I just pray God we'll be open for it, we'll be looking for it, we'll be able to receive it. God, we thank you tonight for an opportunity to meet with you, an opportunity to be in your presence, an opportunity to, to hear from you as you teach us by your Holy Spirit. I ask God that you have your way. We yield ourselves. We give you this time. We give you thanks. We give you praise. Our ears are open. Our hearts are open. We're ready to receive. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you have Bibles, let's open up to 2 Samuel 18 2 Samuel chapter 18. This is a reminder, we do have seats, if you're ever looking for one when you come in. There's a few more seats over here, too. It's the overflow over here. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> okay, Second Samuel chapter 18. Let me volunteer to read verse 8. They all spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest swelled up more men than that did ever. All right, thanks. Oh, I'm sorry, then the sword. Yeah, yeah. Kind of interesting verse. Kind of weird too, right? 
you can reread it if you want. But uh, again, we're at this a stage in the story of David where one of his sons decided to go out and declare himself king, Absalom. And so he went and he got a certain number of David's advisors and people that were loyal to his father, or at least appeared to be loyal to his father, gathered them together, uh, went out with some of his friends and some of the people that he'd grown up with, and declared himself king. And while his father was still alive, and so he had amassed the, the army, an army, and uh, David had fled from Jerusalem and had gone out uh, with the rest of his family and with those that were closest to him and some of his mighty men. And if you want to read the story again, but David had to leave the city because Absalom was coming to the city. And so David had left. And uh, eventually... It became known that David was in a certain place, and so Absalom went out to fight him, went out to destroy his own father with an army. And so they met in battle. David's army, of course, wasn't really an army. It was his mighty men, and it was certain others that had followed him and were loyal to him that had come out. And so they had a battle, and as the battle would turn, Absalom's forces would run. And so the smaller group, David's group, prevailed over Absalom's group. And so they scattered and they ran. And this verse describes a part of them running away. And what it describes is there's a portion of them that fled through the forest. And it says that the forest ended up killing more of them than the battle itself did, than the sword did. Which I thought was really kind of an interesting verse because it tells us a couple things about what was going on. And that's what I want to look at tonight is what that teaches us about what had happened there that day. Now, when I talk tonight, I'm going to talk about what happened that day. And we're going to begin to apply that to today. And I'm not going to make any absolute statements about today because... There aren't any absolute statements, but I want you to at least hear this and let this begin to sink in to become a part of how you think about things. Let it become a part of how you see things. Let it become a part about how you react to things and how you make your decisions moving forward. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm not trying to lay down a law. I'm not trying to tell you this is what has to happen every single time or anything like that. But what I'm trying to lay down here is a way of looking at things that at least needs to be considered when you are making decisions moving forward. That's what I want to share with you tonight. And so if you can receive that, I pray you can. And I pray that we all grow through this. I pray that we are all made better through this. And I pray that we are made fuller through this in our understanding and the way that we see the things going on around us. So, as I said, describing here is the battle. The battle is going on and there is a scattering that takes place. Kind of interesting, Absalom's army was the larger force, as I said. They were the larger force. The interesting thing is that David's people, David's army, if you want to call it that, 
was made up of his mighty men. Now, what do we know about the mighty men? Heroes. They're heroes. Right. And, and what is their skill level? Low or high? Very high. Very high skill level. What's their experience level? Very high. And so these guys had been around. They had been through the battle. They were battle tested. They had been in any number of conflicts. They had been with David since before he was king. And they'd been with him in the wilderness. They'd been with him when he was living in caves. These are guys that had been through it, had seen it, knew it, and there they were again facing battle. Now, Absalom's army, as I said, who followed Absalom? Well, people of his age group, people that he had grown up with, people that were even younger than him. They were the people that he had brought with him. And so there were some of David's advisors that were part of the group that stayed with him, but for the most part, there were people that were his own age. And so the army that he was bringing, for, the, for much of it, was inexperienced. The army that he was bringing, they may have been great in number, but they really weren't great in experience level, and they weren't really great in skill level. And so they had sheer numbers. And so you had this massive army, sheer numbers of people, coming against a small group of people, but had superior experience and superior skill level. So what happened was, is that you had this great big army coming against a small group of people, and the small group of people won the day. And so the great big old army, even though it was a lot bigger, the experience and the skill level prevailed over the larger force, and the larger force turned and ran, and they scattered. But again, I want you to think about this for a second, that has a lot to do with them not fighting together for long periods of time, has a lot to do with them not really being vested in what they were doing, has to do with there not being a lot of discipline that was going on in their ranks, has to do with not having experienced commanders that were overseeing them, had to do a lot of things. And, and all those things come into play when it comes to a battle. And so here they came in, the big force, they should be able to overrun this little force of people. This big army should be able to just walk over the people that they were coming against. Did work, turned, ran, scattered. Fall lack of discipline. They just left. So what happens? You have a pursuit that takes place. And the pursuit that's taking place, and it is David's men pursuing after this huge army that's now scattered and running. And so part of the group, even though they, they scattered over a broad area, they went wherever they went, part of that group scattered and ran into the forest. Now, in this verse, there's a little bit of language used here. It says that the forest, well, if you read it, like the forest killed them. Did the forest really kill them? Or did they give occasion for their defeat? Or occasion for their death? Well, it gave occasion for their death. The forest, I mean, it's not like, you know, like you see in a movie or something, the trees didn't rise up and start killing guys or something. You know? It wasn't like that. And there wasn't something like that happening. Now, what were some of the things that were going on? Well, what's in the forest? Well, there's pits, there's stumps, there's down trees, there's cliffs, there's uh, thick woods. If you get in the forest long enough, there's thirst, there's hunger, and 
There's wild animals. Alright? So those are the issues that they're going to run into if they run into a forest. So they may have been running for cover, but if you could run at full speed in a field and you hit a forest, what does that do for your speed? Slows it down. Right. It's going to slow you down. And so they hit the forest, and whatever happened, happened. You got all those natural things that could happen. You got all the, the obstacles that are there. You got all these things that they'd have to negotiate, all these things they'd have to go over and all that. You got wild animals in the forest. You got all this stuff going on in the forest. It's all happening. And if they were there, long enough thirst and hunger is going to happen. And so they get chased into the forest. And the Bible says that the forest devoured them. Devoured them. So again, they're in pursuit. They lost more men, and this is what I want you to think about, and let this begin to sink into your heart. They lost more men by running away than they did in the battle itself. So let that sink in just for a second. They lost more men by running away than they did actually fighting in the battle of swords. Now what that should begin to speak to you about, especially if you're a person that you're an avoider and you don't like conflict. And I mean that's common. Alright, I'm not, I'm not pointing anybody out or anything. It's common for people to want to avoid conflict. Because it's easier. Right? Isn't it easier? Yeah. Well, the issue with that is, is that, and you can probably speak to this, and I want you to think about this, if you're somebody that avoids conflict at whatever cost, I want you to think about the number of times it ends up worse than if you had just hit it head on. I mean, really, just think about that. If you had taken care of it right when it happened, you would have stood up and you would have faced whatever it is you needed to face then and there. How much easier and how much better it would have actually been than hiding or running. And how something can multiply on itself seemingly exponentially when you turn and run. And so that needs to be factored in. That needs to be factored into your decision making. Especially in relationships. That you need to look at whatever the situation is, especially, especially if you're an avoider and a runner, a hider, if that's your nature, you need to really consider that maybe hitting something head on is going to be in the long run better and easier and quicker. Less painful than turning and running. And so just think about that for a second. Because that's what we see here. What we see here is Absalom's army running away. And they went and they hid in the forest. And the forest devoured more of them 
that the battle did. And however that happened, whatever happened, think of it as the forest gave occasion for more of them to die than the field of battle did. So what might that mean to you? It might mean that you need to make a different decision next time you're confronted. It might mean that you don't that you don't follow the first prompt that comes in your head. Because the first prompt that comes in your head may be to run or to hide. The first prompt that may be that comes into your head may be to avoid. And that may not be the best course of action. And we have a real system in our body that, that is referred to a lot of times as just fight or fight. Right. That's a real thing. It's a real thing that, that affects us physiologically. That when we're confronted with certain things and we see certain things and certain stimuli come our way, that that that, that impulse, that drive, kicks in in us to either fight or to flee. It's a real thing. Heart rate quickens. A lot of adrenaline starts pumping. And really, really bad decisions can be made right then. Really bad decisions to be made right now. I, I want to suggest to you that sometimes that system kicks in when there's no real threat. You ever experienced that? I mean, I've experienced that. I'll hear something, the system kicks in, I look, and it's nothing. But my heart's beating really fast, and I got an adrenaline rush. If something wakes you up like that, try to get back to sleep, right? Sometimes. And so it's not always accurate. It's not always true. It's not always right. And so to put your trust in that system, I mean absolute trust in that system, is to put yourself in a bad situation a lot of times that you don't even need to be in. Because it's just not always the best thing. There are some times where there, there are situations that come up where your fight or flight reaction is just uncalled for. And it may be best that you stay calm and that you make a reasonable choice and you may discover that you didn't really need that fight or flight at all. You can make an easy choice when your brain isn't just on one thing or the other. When you're not in you know, fifth gear and you really just need to be taking it easy and taking it slow. Is this making sense to you? You understand what I'm saying? So I'm trying to just describe it in such general terms that I'm not picking anybody out, but I also want to make it clear enough that you're able to relate to it in a sense so that maybe you can make a different decision next time. Maybe you can consciously make a different decision next time. And say, yeah, well, maybe I don't need to react this way. Maybe this isn't one of those situations. Because, I mean, in a relationship, if you've been in really bad relationships, 
I mean, you grew up in bad relationships, and let's say you're in a whole different relationship now, and somebody confronts you on something, or somebody calls you out, or somebody says, hey, what are you doing? You know, your first reaction to that might be anger or run. When the real thing is just listen to what they have to say and let's make the changes together and move on. We don't need an adrenaline rush and we don't need to run out of the room. And we don't need to come out swinging. Because our relationship is one of trust and proven love and proven, you follow me? Proven friendship. And so just because someone confronts us and says, hey, you might want to think about this, well, maybe in the past that relationship or whatever the relationship we came out of was, they're attacking me. Uh, I gotta get away from here. I can't stand it. I gotta go. Yeah, all right. You're just like you got PTSD, right? You hear a loud noise. Gotta be a bomb. Well, you know, not now. We're out of that situation. Nobody's bombing. Huh? Maybe a book fell on the floor. Take it easy, psycho. Well, no. And I understand that's a real thing, and I understand people deal with that. But what I'm trying to, to get you towards is that we have to somehow begin to claw out of it. And not just react. And not just, just you know, let whatever it is inside of us dictate how we're going to move forward in our life. You see, a, will, uh, a well-disciplined force, all right, like you see on David's side here, they've been through it before. They've been through battles before. And if things weren't going their way, I mean, they could have took one look at that big army and said, we better get out of here and run. Because it was overwhelming. There were too many people. There's no way. Like, if they, they hadn't experienced it before, they looked at that huge force of people coming at them and turned and ran. But they've been there before. They've fought against greater forces. They've fought against bigger armies. They've fought against when they're outnumbered. They've done it before. And so they can look at one another and say, we've done this before, let's do it again, let's go. You see, there's a discipline to that through their experience, through their lives together. And they're able to hold together through that. This other force, this other army that was young and inexperienced and didn't have the right leadership, you look at them, and as soon as something didn't go their way, time to go. You see, that's a, a lot of times the, the difference between victory and defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. I don't know how many times I've told somebody this, but it's like, I, how long do you have to wait for something to happen? How long do you have to stay faithful to something before something happens that looks good? I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea how long it takes. But I do know this. I've been in enough of those situations, enough of those times where I've faced it and I've seen it, and, I, and there's discouragement, and there's all these things coming against me, and there's whatever else is coming against me, but I've seen it enough times, and I've pushed through those times enough times to see the other side. And so there's, a, there's something in me that is, whatever you want to call it, 
Let us keep going. For how long? I can't tell you. I don't know. What's it going to take? I'm not sure. I think I'm convinced though a lot of times all it takes is just keep at it. Does it, does it take, a, a, you know, you have to be specially gifted? Not, no, not exactly. No. You have to be especially smart? Definitely not. You have to be especially, I mean, well, whatever it is you're looking at, do you have to be anything like that? No, do you have to be especially educated? No, do you have to be especially, no. You know, most of the time what it comes down to is that you just stick with it. And you stay at it. And you keep facing it. And you keep going. And you keep moving. And you keep pressing forward. And at some point, something breaks. Something's going to break. One of the first spring break outreaches we went on as a group, we used to do them every year, just about every year when we were on campus. Our spring break would be a different time than some other campuses' spring break where we had a ministry. And so we would dedicate our spring break going to that campus, which wasn't on spring break, and doing a week of outreach. Well, spring break outreach. And one of the first ones we did went to this place that was just our, the campus minister that was there was just having the hardest time. He'd been there for a while. He'd been just keeping at it, keeping at it, keeping at it, doing what we do. I was going out. I was going to see him once a month, once every other month. We were doing teachings. We were doing evangelism. We were doing whatever we needed to do on that campus. Tough place. Tough place. And as we were preparing for the spring break outreach, we were meeting together praying. And I got I got that verse. I got a verse out of Ezekiel. And there's another there's another place in the Bible where this verse is, but it talks about having a forehead as hard as flint. And all that meant was that your forehead is hard as flint, meaning that's going to be harder than anything you're going to run into. And so you're going to be your head is going to be harder than whatever wall you hit. Whatever door you come up against, whatever thing that's standing in your way, your head, your forehead is going to be harder than that thing. Go through it. And so we went in there that week, foreheads as hard as split, and just went to it. No evangelism. God blessed that. God honored that. And we saw fruit from that. And that ministry, something broke in that ministry where that one had been week after week, month after month, year after year of just hitting the wall, hitting the wall, hitting the wall, that opened up and people just started coming in. The disciples, and workers, and the whole thing just broke. And sometimes it takes a forehead as hard as flint to see something like that happen. So you can call that whatever you want. I'm going to call it faithfulness. That's what I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it faithfulness. And I believe, as most of you know, that God honors faithfulness. Somebody, somebody asked me, hey, can we, this person, think they'd make a good disciple. Are they faithful? That's my question. Are they faithful? If they're faithful, then I say yes. Because again, it's not how smart they are. It's not how much they know the Bible. 
It's none of that. None of that. It's not their theology. It's not their abilities. It's not their natural talent. It's not how interesting they are. It's not how well they speak. Are they faithful? Is it faithful? Good enough. And I know that sounds simplistic, but I've lived by that this whole time. And those are the people I'm going to pour into. Those are the people that I'm going to train. Those are the people that I will take my time and put my effort and, and do whatever I need to do to see them grow and to see them become all God wants them to be. They'll be faithful. And if it's faithful, God honors that. And so, it, however you want to see faithful, you can see it. The part of being faithful is your forehead needs to be as hard as flint. And while that's not an endearing quality in some ways, it's a God quality to be honest. So it's kind of interesting that David, if you read the story, David was willing to spare Absalom. He wanted him spared. In fact, he took his commander, Joab, aside and he said, you know, spare the young Absalom. He told him that where he went. Which, I want you to hear that. David told Joab that beforehand. What was David's expectation for the battle? Yeah. Almost to the point he didn't have any doubt. Right? So he knew a huge army was coming against him. He knew a huge army was coming against his little force, but he fully expected that little force to beat them. And to the point that he looked at his commander of this little force there and he said, hey, spare the young Absalom. Now, on the other hand, Absalom wanted David killed. Right? And I want you to contrast that just for a second in your head. David wanted Absalom spared. Absalom wanted David killed. Now, there's something about that that's descriptive about us. More on the Absalom side. It's, it, it's descriptive of our wickedness toward God. And descriptive of God's love toward us. If you look at Absalom and you look at David. So they're about to fight. They're about to fight. But they were still father and son, weren't they? They were. But Absalom wanted his father dead. He did. Because why? Why did Absalom want his father dead? What did Absalom want? What had he stolen? He wanted to be the king. Well, that's us, right? I mean, isn't that descriptive in some way? Don't we fight that? Don't we fight wanting to be the king? King of what? King of our lives. King of what? King of our destiny. King of what? King of our future. I want to do what I want to do. 
I'll do what I want to do. That's galloping king. Well, that's the fight. We have a loving Heavenly Father that is the king. We do. We're going to fight that. We're going to fight it so that we can do what we want to do when we want to do it. We insist on it. And that relationship that you see being played out here, that relationship that you see between David and Absalom is descriptive of the wickedness that we have toward our Heavenly Father. It's a wickedness that we need to deal with in us. It's a rebellion. It's a disobedience. It's a lie. We really need to deal with it. We all need to deal with it. In one way or another, that it's not our way. It's His way. It's not our will. It's His will. It's not what we want. It's what He wants. And there's a part of us that can't even hardly say it, but it's the truth. And Absalom, if he had awaited his time, things would have worked out probably for him really well. But he wouldn't wait. He wouldn't be patient. He wouldn't just see what was going to happen. He wouldn't trust. He wouldn't have faith. He just wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. And he took it. Put him in direct confrontation with his father. And what was his father's reaction? Could you spare the young Absalom? He loved him. He kept loving him even while Absalom was trying to kill him. And I know that some of you doubt the love of the Father for you. I know you do. I know you do. But look at this guy, David. He's just a man with his failings, his failures. The guy committed murder, alright? He, he, he was a violent man. He was someone that had, had commanded armies. He had won battles. I mean, you see him when he comes out on the scene. What does he do? He goes out and kills the giant, cuts his head off with his own sword. So, you look at him, David. Why did he show Absalom the son? Nothing but love. And those of you that doubt the love of the Father for you, I want you to consider that this human being, David, this flawed, failed human, could show that big a love for his son Absalom. How much more does our Heavenly Father love you? Can't you see it? Can't you accept that? Can't you receive that? That is this guy, David, who, whatever, he was who he was, but he still, he had that much love in his heart to love a son that was trying to kill him. To love a son in abject rebellion against him. To love a son who was in abject disobedience, who had usurped his authority, taken his kingdom from him, and was now trying to kill him. Still love him. Still looking out for him. Still protecting him. Yeah. Yeah. And to step out of this, to step out of the situation, to step out of the circumstance, alright, which is what's happening here, 
stepping out of the circumstance, you see the love of a father and the hatred of a son. And if all you can ever see is through the son's eyes, then I bet he saw David as hating him. You got me? You have to step out sometimes. You have to step out if you're in rebellion, you're in disobedience, whatever it is. Sometimes you have to step out and look at the situation. You got a loving Father who loves you. He is not returning your hatred toward you. But He doesn't do that. <coughs> Just because you're rebellion against Him doesn't mean that He's against you. Just because you're in disobedience against Him doesn't mean that He is against you. Just because you are doing what you want to do, not what He wants you to do, doesn't mean He's against you. You see, that's a flawed human perspective. When He shows over and over again, even through the people whom He loves, like David, is that our Father's love for us is so much bigger than our mistakes, and our hatred of Him. And I'll say that, hatred. But sometimes there's hatred in our hearts, but He still loves us. In that rebellion, sometimes hatred creeps in, but He still loves us. In that disobedience, whatever creeps in, creeps in, but He still loves us. And it's such a great picture for us to understand that David and Absalom represent that wickedness. In the midst of that wickedness, there's an abounding love for us. So more people that day, more people that day, why? Because they were in flight. They were in flight. And more people in flight died than in fighting. So look at some verses. I want you to think about these verses we look at. Second uh, Kings twenty four fourteen. Second Kings twenty four fourteen. people out of the land. Alright? They stripped the land. There's nothing left. And who's going to leave there? Poor people. Poverty is for the poor. Just think about that. Try to think about that for a second. Just try to think about that for a second. Proverbs 12.24 Say again? 
Philippine hands will roll while laziness ends in forced labor. Alright. So, so if you're busy with your hands and you're working, what happens? What does it say? What's that? Rule. What happens if you're lazy? You become a slave. Yeah. So, poverty is for the poor. Deceit is for deceivers. You follow me here a second? And dreams are for dreamers. Now, I want you to think about, apply some of that. I want you to apply some of that. I want you to think about some of that. What does that say about you and your attitude? You and your action. You and how you're going to conduct your life. What does that say about it? Who is victory for? Winners. The victor. Yeah. Victory is for victors. If you get a hold of this, I pray you will. I pray you will. Because there's something about this to be said for our lives. People want to blame everybody else, don't they? They do. It's always somebody else's fault, huh? Always. Always. We serve a God who holds us responsible for our lives. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. And I want you to hear that. So what happened to these losers? What happened to these deserters? What happened to these people running scared? What happened? They were destroyed. They were destroyed. They made a decision. They broke ranks. What do we call that? Discipline. In other words, they were set in ranks, they were set in a line, they were set to battle, and at some point during the battle, they broke that discipline of where they were supposed to be and they ran the other way. Broker. Coach. Rugby team. If you don't do your job, what happens? Well, then they just pull it apart. Well, yeah, what do you mean they fall apart? <coughs> People do their job, what happens? What if you had the best players on the field, but they weren't doing their job in their position? Well, then you do. All right, but you have the best players, how do you lose? Because I'm doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and so the other team does what? If they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They get the edge, they score, they win. Right? You see, discipline is a key component to victory. 
Lack of discipline leads to confusion. Confusion leads to defeat. And you read the Bible, it says we serve not a God of confusion, but of but the rest of that? Order. Right? Order. We serve a God of order. Because in order there is victory. In discipline there is victory. It's kind of funny reading people who are writing about something like that and, and people hear it like, you know, in the modern day, they'll, they'll read that like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's been known for generations and eons. You look at the, the armies and you, you look whatever you want to look at and the, the army that's disciplined, the army that is in order is the army that generally is going to win. The Greeks the Spartans, the Mongolians, are generally the army that's going to win. The Romans. Same is true for sporting events. That's our modern day equivalent. You know, we don't have the forum anymore and we're not, you know, fighting to the death, but we have sporting events. Well, teams in general, teams that are more disciplined, and teams that are that are more on the same page with one another, more in order, are going to win. They're going to win, even if they may be slightly less talented. They still might win. And so I want to encourage you that as we live our lives, and let this speak to you. Let this speak. To you. Let this example here speak to you. A lack of discipline will lead us to confusion. And confusion will lead you to defeat. These guys turned and they fled. And that loss, that defeat, was for them. Because of the decisions that they made. You know who victory was for? The victors. And they knew they won before they even went out onto the field. David knew they won before they even went out onto the field. They're the victors, and they won. Victory is for the victors. What does that say about your mental game here? What does that say about the state of your mind and the way that you see things? What does that encourage you toward? I'm, I'm hoping at least. What does that encourage you toward? Tell me. How are you going to see things? You going you to see things? Are you the poor? You're the victorious, right? You are the blessed, the provided for, the loved. You are one with a future, a purpose, a plan for your life. You have a reason and a purpose for getting somewhere, and doors are going to open. It may take a little bit of a hard head. It may take a forehead of flint. The doors are going to open. How long will it take? I don't know. All I can say is, keep going. You come down here toward the end of this. The actual fighting 
the actual fighting that you see going on here, the battle, the war that was happening, the fight, and again, listen to me, the fight was safer than the retreat. Follow that? They were safer in the battle than they were running in the woods. Can you let that speak to you? Now, am I saying we should never retreat? That's not, I'm not making any absolute statement. But should this be a part of your decision making? Yes. Yes. Because you should face the situation and it should run through your mind. Sometimes the battle, the fighting, is safer than the retreat. Remember what happened to Absalom and his men? Hmm. Maybe I should consider that. And have an open heart and open mind that maybe this is a day of fight. Well, that, that, it looks like the odds are overwhelming against me. Well, are you open? Maybe it is a day to fight. Maybe this is your day that you're going to go out and slay a giant. Maybe this is your day where you're the Gideon in this moment and you're going to take this, this vastly outnumbered force and you're going to go to battle and you're going to win. I don't know. Is it possible? Yeah. Remember Gideon. Remember David against Goliath. Remember David's mighty men against Absalom and his, his great vast army. Is it possible? Yes, possibly open to that. I hope so. It should at least come to mind. It should at least be a part of the decision-making process. I mean, we're not beasts. We're not animals. We don't have to go with the first thought that comes into our mind. Oh, danger, run! <laughs> You're not a deer. Your eyes are not on the sides of your head. We are not prey animals, as much as we joke about it sometimes. We're reasoning. We have the ability to make decisions. And we need to use that. And not be led only by our instincts. What we see here in a situation where they were better off fighting. Better off. Now, in a spiritual battle, I see this all the time. All the time. Vastly, superior numbers, defeated by a small but determined force of people. God does it. God does it. We need the right heart and the right attitude. We need to see things as they really are. We need to be disciplined. We need to have order in our lives. What does that look like in your life? Well, it, it looks like I just sound together. And I'm not going to bust on anybody, but. You get up, you make your bed, your stuff is clean, your clothes are clean, you take care of the things around your house, you do what you need to do, your apartment, whatever, and you live in an orderly manner. What does it have to do with the battle, Andy? It does. It has to do with our lives. 
victory is for the victor, and the victor is ordered and disciplined. Is this so? That's all I encourage you toward that. You're supposed to be reading your Bible? Well, then you need to read it. You're supposed to be praying a certain amount? You need to be praying it. What are we supposed to be doing? Let's do it. I'm not telling you what that is, I'm just telling you. Whatever you're supposed to be doing, and that's between you and God, you need to do it. That's on you. But that begins to describe and begins to set an order into our lives. And it's in that place that we're going to see success and we're going to see victory and we're going to see life. And like I said, what I'm saying here, it's not an absolute statement. I mean, how did David get out of Jerusalem and get to where he was? He ran. But then he stopped, turned, faced it. And brought the feet on his enemy. So let that be a part of your decision making. Let that be a part of the way that you see things. Let that be a part of how you're going to choose to live. Let it be a part. I want to believe that God is turning some things around in some of your lives. I really want to believe that. I want to believe that God is leading you to a better place. I want to believe that. And I'm going to believe that. And, and if it starts right here and right now, so be it. But a better place starting right now. I'll take a few minutes and I'll pray for you. Whatever you need to pray for, I'll encourage you to do it. Pray for it. If you need to confess, confess. If you need to accept some loving from the Father tonight, accept it. Receive it. If you've been in rebellion, disobedience, time to change. Good time is in here right now. Just walk into that love the Father has for you. He's pouring that love out right here and right now. This is a good time of day. Don't get any easier. Father, thank you for the loving, caring. Thank you for your patience, your long suffering. Thank you, God, that even when we are messed up and we're hating and doing whatever it is we're doing. You're still loving. I pray, God, if nothing else, that we get a bigger revelation of that love tonight. A better revelation, a deeper revelation of that love tonight. And we can just receive more and more of it. Father, I thank you that you, you've given us opportunity victory, for life. You've given us purpose. You've given us a future. You've this plan for us. I ask you, God, that we be a people who be moving toward discipline in our life. Moving toward, God, a, a real order to our lives. We're not going to be perfect. It's not going to come overnight. 
not something that just happens with the snap of a finger, but then we're moving toward it more and more. We've got tonight a thank you that you've called us to a life of faithfulness, not to a life of fear, not to a life of just running all the time and hiding. But there's some days where it's safer in the fight than it is in the forest. There's some days where it's safer in the midst of the battle than it is running away or hiding. And so I pray, God, that we would learn to understand which is which. And that, God, there at least be a part of our decision-making, at least a part of what we're doing. And maybe it's time to turn and fight. Maybe it's time to stand up. Maybe it's time to say something. Maybe it's time to do something. Maybe it's time to, to move forward in the battle. Even if the odds are against us. Thanks, God. Pray that you teach us more and more what it is to be faithful and to keep going. So, Father, tonight I just ask that we allow you to lead us. You're the commander. You're in charge. You're the head honcho of the big cheese. You're the one that knows the beginning from the end. You know what's up. I ask you, God, that we respond to you. Take our place. Take our place in what you have for us. Pray we be a people of faith, a people of faithfulness, a people of courage. Courage and bravery to do what needs to be done. Give you thanks tonight. Give you honor and praise. And ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's be my saying, Amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways. So musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 